Well, good morning. It's wonderful to see you guys this morning. You know, when it comes to family and the times in which we live, it used to be, you guys remember the program, The Waltons? How the whole family was there and grandma and grandpa were there and um, Billy Joe Bob or whoever, you know, was in the family there. They were all together. And in our day and age, the family seems to be fractured where the grandparents may live in one state and kids live in another state. And, you know, the the family is just spread out. And personally, we are faced with that. Some of our children may go to uh, Florida, another to Dallas. And it's all because the times in which we live, you know, the increased taxes, the uh, burden on the family, the school mandates for the vaccine and making decisions for all of that. And in the state in which we live today, if, if we could recall back to our parents' generation uh, and the World War II generation, my father was around during the Korean War uh, in the Marines at that time. If they looked at how kids were being raised today, what might they say? Oh, my. <laughs> they might say, oh, my. I can remember having a comb taken away in Mr. Sherman's Spanish class because I took it out to comb my hair before class started. And that was prohibited. And the girls couldn't take out brushes and things like that. We had uniforms when we went to physical education or PE, as it was known at that time. Everybody took a shower. Today, nobody takes a shower. And the kids, they're paying attention to what's on the media, what's out there. And a lot of them are raising themselves. And with that, you know, in our natural state and being left to ourselves, we would eventually come to utter ruin. If we didn't have the generation before us instructing us or we instructing our children or our children instructing grandchildren... And we see this rising tide of anarchy and chaos and unruliness and violence, and there are symptoms of a generation that is morally corrupt and lawless. We know that people having an affiliation with any type of church is decreasing. Uh, We're living in a postmodern world where there is no absolute truth. And when we find these characteristics in a nation, it is a sign that the death of that nation state is imminent. That If you look at history, the fall of Rome, that type of thing, and I've mentioned that previously, those are the characteristics that lead to the demise of a civilization, especially when we see the fatherless homes, the perpetual generation of welfare mothers and grandmothers and children are left to their own devices. Proverbs 29, verse 15 says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but the child left to himself disgraces his mother. If there's no discipline in the home, especially without a father there, I believe the father is the main enforcer in the household and the mother, she is the nurturer in the household. But when you see kids left to themselves, they can end up disgracing their mother because of their action, the way that they live or the immorality that comes into their lives or the problems they get involved in. Can you remember back in the 80s, there was a phrase that was coined we don't hear it much today, called the latchkey kids. That's where the kids would go to school, the mom and the dad would be working if there was a mom and a dad, and the child would come home, lock the door, and they would stay there until the parents got home from work. That was a latchkey kid. And they would spend three, four hours in front of the television. Now, 
back in the 80s or even the 70s, if you watched television, there were still families that were intact that were still on the television. I think the last intact family was Seventh Heaven. Uh, there may have been others uh, like that, but since then, uh, or uh, there's some crass ones like Married with Children, wouldn't you? I've never watched that program, but I've seen a couple of clips of the father that was there, and he is very rude, and he was a shoe salesman. And, and imagine children watching that type of programming for three or four hours a day. Do you know how long parents spend with their children during the day? It's only like a mother who's involved. Usually it's only between one and two hours. That's above the age of six. Prior to that, it's a little bit more, and it can get up to three or four hours, but normally the mother will take the child, nurture the child, and then have the child do something all on their own. And they discover things. I I don't know if you were like uh, my family. Uh, My mom would basically kick us out of the house at 9 o'clock in the morning and said, don't come back until dinner. And, you know, we'd head off. We'd have bicycles, go to the canyon. Just all kinds of mischief that we would get in. But that's the way it was. But now the kids may come home, maybe a single parent family or or two parents that are there, and they might spend three or four hours in front of a digital screen. The only problem is we, we don't have any more televisions, do we? We have digital screens. There's no more the tubes that are in the back that might go out that you have to go to the RCA store or Radio Shack and get that tube and replace it or call the TV repairman. It doesn't work like that anymore. And so they have this device that is a digital screen and it's either in front of them on the TV or the LED screen or it's in their computer or it's in their hand. Now, how many hours do you think that they spend a day on that? The average person, adult and teenager, spends three to four hours on their phone a day. And I don't want to get into how many times they check it. Uh, There are different studies that deal with that. But imagine the influence that is on those screens today. Uh, You know, they're wiping out all history the way that history used to be and the depiction of historical figures. They're changing them, uh, different races and characters and rewriting what's there so we don't have a grasp on what has taken place in the past or uh, a grasp on it. And those types of activities will lead us in a direction that is not good. Uh, We're not able to latch on to something in our past. Now, To avoid this type of degradation of society and individuals, of course, we need to spend time with our kids, but we are to teach our children and our grandchildren. Uh, The things that we teach them, speak, walk, tie their shoes. I remember, I was young, I was between two and three, but I remember being at my grandmother's house who drove a 57 Chevy that was white and yellow. And she lived on Bryant Street right below the airport, right above the airport. And we'd hear the jets go by. And I remember sitting in her little chair there. My mom was there. My grandmother was there. And they taught me how to tie my shoes. And I got it. And I was young at that point. They taught me how to tie the shoes. My mom taught me how to brush my teeth and how to walk and speak and clean up. There were four boys in our household 
And my mom, I just one night, we had all sit around the table. One night she said, all right, I'm done doing dishes. You four boys get to trade off one week each, and you're all going to do the dishes. When the dinner is done, you're doing the dishes. And we go, what? Oh, thou doth protest. You know, she's going to make us do the dishes. Doesn't she know we have to clean our room too and walk the dog and go to school? And we have to do dishes as well. And she taught us how to do those things. And we got a dishwasher and, you know, that really didn't help that much. There were always dishes there with a family of six growing up in a small home. And, and, but she taught us everything, she, uh, at least in our household. My mother and father did. She taught me what it was to be, quote, a Republican and a Democrat, and the differences between those and, and just little things. And how to shower and clean the room and be organized and work hard and how to focus on a particular problem. All those things are taught by the parents. My little grandson, he's uh, gaining vocabulary now. And as he gains the vocabulary, he doesn't know what to say, but he, he kind of has an idea. Like, for instance, we, he likes trucks of all kinds. He likes fire engines and loaders and cement mixers and he likes the backhoes and putting the backhoe into the the dump and a little pile of dirt and we had this pile we're doing some construction at my house and I have this pile of dg in the back and he's had so much fun out that all at that pile all he says is pile 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 Mimi, Papa, pile, and it's pile, and so he's learning all of these words, and, and, and he's learning several more, and it's, it's fun to watch that. And so what gets put into him, or what he notices, and sometimes he notices just by observation. Um, I've been digging with a shovel on this pile, and he grabbed the shovel. I have a picture of it. He grabbed the shovel, and he saw that I put my foot on the shovel to drive it in, and he just picked it up. He just started doing it all by himself. And so he's, I'm watching him learn. He's just absorbing everything. And as children do that, they grow up to be an individual according to what they have absorbed. Now, with that, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And train means to initiate, to discipline, to dedicate, where you spend time with the child. And when they get old, they, they don't go away from it. They don't need any reminders uh, to do what they're supposed to do. But as we get older... And especially as we come to the Lord, as we get saved, as we become born again, we have to learn the process just like a child learns to walk and talk and tie the shoes and clean the room and brush their teeth and shower and all that stuff. We have to learn how to be good children of God because most people, when they come to Christ, they don't understand what it is to be in the kingdom. Now, we're born into this world and our earthly parents help us here, but we're born into the kingdom as well. And God says, okay, I have some people that are going to teach you how to live in his world. So we have the spiritual world and we have the earthly world. And we're supposed to refine ourselves with the precepts and the characteristics of the spiritual world and things that are of this world other than the practical, pragmatic things that we have to do daily we're to set aside not only the practices, but the belief system. We're to take that belief system and set it to the side. I, I previously mentioned that we lived in a, in a postmodern society. That means there is no truth, no absolute truth. 
And you can see this world, the kids in this world, they're being raised under this no absolute truth. Whatever feels right, you need to go with that. And, you know, this gender discussion that's out there, there are over 100 genders. Now, I don't know how they do that. I'm not even going to take the time to read the list. But as far as I'm concerned, there's only two. So there's this, no, it's not a male and female world. It's 100 different genders world. And so the definitions that we grew up with are changing. And it's necessary that as we grow up in this world, we not only get the instruction, but we have the experiences as well. Maybe uh, as a child, at least boys, you know, we would go out, and like I said, my mom would turn us loose and we'd go do things. And we'd get all these experiences and a couple of times came home with stitches uh, just because being stupid, you know, but you learn from the experiences. And we have a ton of experience, myself and my brothers, of things that we've gone through, things that we've done, and it has benefited us tremendously. And as we live life, we don't want to just count the years. And Abraham Lincoln said, in the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years, the things that you do. And so as you're a believer, as you're born into the family of God, you want to experience things, not only just learn. Don't just be a bookworm. Don't just simply read the scriptures. We're supposed to read the scriptures and put them into practice. When we put them into practice, we go out and we do things. We show love to one another. We go on missions trips or we help somebody in their household or we provide those things which someone else needs. So we put things into practice. And as you do that, you get tested in areas like patience and endurance and long suffering. All of those things work to our benefit so that when we reach the end of our life, the transition from this world to the next, it's nothing. We've already learned what we're supposed to learn. We just shed the old nature, the old self. And so in the process of doing that as an adult, we are supposed to also train ourselves to be godly. I just read to you how we're supposed to train our children and the way that they should go. First Timothy 4, 7 says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, if you go to the gym and you try to train yourself, you know, as you get older, it's not so much training. Sometimes it's just friendship you show up hey how you doing oh yeah i got it's good how's the family oh it's good and you do a couple of exercises and you walk on the treadmill or whatever you do for a little bit but we are supposed to be actively involved in training ourselves whether we hide god's word in our hearts so we do not sin against him we do that we read the scriptures we go to bible study all those things are good and god tells us to put off the vices and put on the virtues Now, what are the vices? Now, I'm going to digress a little bit from where we left off last week in Colossians chapter 3. But he tells us what the vices are here. And the vices are those things which the flesh is used to and contrary to the Spirit of God, they're actually called sins. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. That's the earthly life. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but all but Christ in all and, excuse me, Christ is all and is in all. And so all these practices were to put off. And he doesn't make a distinction who has to put them off. He doesn't say, well, this particular race or this particular gender, this particular uh, business owner or this particular slave. There's no separation. Everybody is the same. Even in the Old Testament, the Jews... If they brought in somebody who was a slave or somebody who was a foreigner, they were supposed to treat them equal as a citizen, as a Jew. They were not allowed to treat them harshly, and they could even be prosecuted if they did so, even if they're uh, beating their slave, quote-unquote. And if they did damage to the slave, they had to uh, recompense the slave for that or even set them free. And so God says it's equal. And when he judges us at the end, there's not going to be a respecter of persons. Oh, you, you serve so well. He's not going to look at it like that. And so everybody, it's the same. Put away these vices of the old self and put on the new ones. And he talks about these, these virtues in verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with, and here's the list, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So the citizen of the kingdom, the one who's working at their faith, will put these things on like a garment, and they'll get rid of the other ones They're to Put them to death, so to speak. And then verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now this peace that's talked about here in the Greek, the word means to prevail or to govern. And it goes on to say thanksgiving as well. But whatever you do, whatever you're involved in, the peace of God is supposed to rule over everything. If you're feeling anxious, God says, well, the peace of God is supposed to rule over that anxiousness. You see how this works? And he goes on to say, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So this word uh, that deals with let the word of Christ dwell in you, that's what it means. It means to inhabit So our bodies are to be inhabited, our minds, our souls, with God's word. And with all wisdom. Do you guys know what the name for wisdom is for people? Have you ever heard that? Sophia. That is the word in the Greek that means wisdom. And if it's not Sophia, there's also sophis. Or Sophocles, you might pronounce it Sophocles, but it's Sophocles. That's the word for wisdom. People named their children. There's an early church father that was Sophocles. And words that he wrote, you know, it's supposed to be full of wisdom. If you name your child Sophia, hopefully they're going to have wisdom as they're growing up and they're not going to be unwise. And he says also, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
Now, these psalms that's probably being referred to here are the Old Testament psalms, psalms of David, psalms of Asaph that are in the Old Testament, and hymns. Um, there's different hymns in the Old Testament. Remember Miriam's song after the uh, Egyptian army was defeated? I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. You can sing a hymn in your heart and dedicate it to the Lord. And we know that other places in Scripture says we're to speak to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And you're to speak to each other or one another, we are, with also uh, proverbs and wisdom uh, that come from the Old Testament. So the wisdom and the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is like the proverbs and the psalms in the Old Testament. I've gotten away from this for a while, but I probably need to go back and just read a proverb every single day. And then you meditate on that proverb. Remember how many proverbs are there? 31. There are 31 proverbs. How many days in a month? Most months? 30 days has September, April, June, and November. You know, you do all that except for February, which has 28, and then leap year, 29. And so you can double up on the last day if you need to. And you could have a full proverb every day. And I think, what is it, three psalms every day you could go through. And there's so many psalms, and we don't do this so much today, but back in the 80s and 90s, the worship leaders would go through and make songs out of the songs, um, Psalms, like give ear to my word, O Lord, consider my meditation. That would be Psalm 5. And, and there are several others. Um, uh, I look to the mountains, where does my help come from? Psalm 191. Those were all Psalms that were made into songs. And God would have us do that. Um, Proverbs chapter 6 there are six things that the Lord does say yes there are seven that are already testable made that into a song and we're able to remember that by use of a song so God says we are to have psalms, hymns and spiritual songs that we speak with one another too and that we also uh, retain in our hearts with gratitude to God verse 17 whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him And so over everything, we are to rest in the salvation that we possess. That's the peace of God is to rule over us. And whether we have fallen into a sin that needs forgiveness, sexual immorality, anger, rage, filthy language, whatever it might be, or if we have any success, we're to have that peace. Like, wow, God, you just used me over there. Thank you. And your heart's filled with peace. Or if you commit a sin, you go, God, please forgive me. First John 1, 9, please forgive me for my sin. Then you have this peace. This idea, and this is really hard for us. If we commit a sin, we think to ourselves, am I really even saved? You, you know, I, how many times have I committed this sin over my life? I just can't seem to get beyond these sins, no matter what it might be. Or it's just the, the rancor that might be in the heart, anger towards somebody else. You just can't get rid of it. And most of the time you don't catch yourself. You don't stop yourself on that. And then you walk away feeling condemned. God says, just turn to me and ask for forgiveness and you will be restored in your fellowship. It's the sin that separates us from God. But that's hard for us. We feel like we have to do something. Lord, you know, I'll go to church more or I'll tithe more. I'll read the Bible more. And then you fall into the sin. And that's not working. We already read through that the harsh treatment of the body does not make you more spiritual or enable you to be more spiritual. We are to just kill the body, metaphorically speaking, 
every day. That's what God says to do. Just consider it dead. Crucify the body every day. Paul says he buffets his body. Now, that doesn't mean take your fist and hit yourself upside the cheek. It simply means take control of your thoughts and your attitudes. And your soul is going to war against your spirit and the spirit against the soul. Those two are contrary to one another. But if you're constantly reciting hymns and psalms and proverbs, those types of things in your heart, that is going to help us if we're constantly minding the things of God. Now, people in the Old Testament did this. You know, when King David set up the, the kingdom and he had the temple there that he, he wasn't going to build it, but he left instruction. He said, there's going to be singers and there's going to be people who play instruments. And when King Hezekiah came along in Second Chronicles chapter 29 and he restored the worship, if you read through that section there, they were all ready. They were sitting there ready and the singers were going to bust out singing. The players of the lyre, the harp, they were all going to start playing and the, the trumpets were going to go. It was a worship celebration. And that's what they did. And so he restored the celebration of that. If you went to the temple area, it would be a loud area that's there. All the commotion, the people talking, the music being sung, the reverential worship which was there. And, and so... They did that. And also remember Paul and Silas when they were in prison in Philippi, how did they pass their time? I will sing unto the Lord for he... He actually sang that song. You know, I, I have a, a note that was passed down to me from the generations that that's what they sang in prison in Philippi, really. Okay, I'm going to move on from that. But this idea, when we are in a tough spot... You know, they were in chains. It, it's not like the jails today. Have you seen the jails in Sweden and Norway, these Benelux countries which are over there? It's an apartment. It's an apartment that has a bed and a window and a bookshelf and a sink and a bathroom in it. And you get to be let out of there to join the rest of the prisoners around the kitchen and you can cook and they have knives and they fix meals and they sit down and they talk to one another. That's not a prison in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, you probably couldn't stand up in the prison. And if you were shackled, you couldn't move very far. You had iron shackles around your hands. There were no lights in the prison, stone walls and a wood door that was in there. There might be some hay in there. There might be a few rats. There were certainly lice. There was probably defecation all over the inside of that place. It was just unsanitary. And here they are. I will sing unto the Lord for and. and do we do that? We say, whoa, is me, whenever we find some difficulty coming up. And these guys are in prison and they're singing. Now, for me, I would grumble first before I sang. It's not my fault. And you know, all these things that would go through my heart. And these guys, they were close to the Lord because of the persecution they suffered and they knew that they were doing it for the Lord's sake and obtaining for themselves a huge weight of glory because of what they pursued. And then also the author of Ephesians speaks of Christians singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. As I just quoted, verse 19, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but... During the day, I have the opportunity to listen to many messages, and I try to do that almost every day. But there are some days I go, okay, I've had enough talking. I just need some music, right? And sometimes it'll be some Christian music, like I just listened to a, a conference 
in uh, a conference at Jack Hibbs and a few others, uh, Barry Stanger and a few others that were on there. And they had worship. And I go, okay, this is, this is good. I want to listen to the worship. And every once in a while, it's boot, scoot, and boogie, you know. And I, I, I just have to change modes. I, I have to go in another direction just to maintain my sanity. And, and God says, get those songs in your heart. The, and I wouldn't say boot, scoot, and boogie, but, you know, the, the other ones that are in the scriptures, the psalms, the hymns, the spiritual songs, you want to be able to not only sing them, but meditate on them when they come up. So our instruction is we're supposed to train ourselves, put off the old self and put on the new self. And he tells us exactly what things to get rid of and exactly what things to put on that I just covered there. And Paul provides specific instruction uh, in areas to help us for our satisfaction, or excuse me, for our sanctification. We have been set apart. When you got saved, God says, you're mine, I'm taking you and putting you into the kingdom. That's where you are. You're set apart for the kingdom. Everybody else in the world that's here, they're still in the world, but you being saved have been set apart for the kingdom. Now, this is positionally and experientially. Positionally, he just takes us and says, you're mine, you're in Christ now, that's where you are, you're a child of God. That's our position. But experientially, we're supposed to be sanctified. We're supposed to walk the walk. We're supposed to be set apart from the world. When somebody looks at you, they go, something different about you. Like, you don't cuss, you know, you, you, don't, you don't act like the rest of them. I, I just had... Um, a bunch of construction guys come out and they did some asphalt work. And I get to be around construction guys, true hardcore construction guys, on a semi-regular basis. And these guys were as hardcore as they could be. You know, they're just a couple of them lined up with tattoos and, you know, they're rough and gruff and hard to bluff and the way that they're talking back and forth and laughing and carrying on and they were doing asphalt work, which is the, one of the hardest jobs to do out there. And you can tell that they were just experienced construction workers. That's who they were. And I've had some other guys out, you know, doing some other, and just hardcore construction workers and the language isn't always the cleanest. And, you know, you, you, you just look at that and go, wow, that's their experience. That's where they are. And they should, if it was construction or an office or somewhere where you're volunteering, they should be able to look at you and look at me and say, you know, you're different. You're not like everyone else. You don't act like the other construction workers, the other office personnel. You're not crass. You don't give yourself over to filthy language, the attitude of your heart. Why are you so happy all the time? You know, you come in here, you, you Mr. Goody Two-Shoes or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes, that type of thing. And, and you're supposed to be different where the world sees it and they understand that there's a difference. And so he does this going on to Colossians chapter Uh, 3 verse 18, which we have already covered, the wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
And then we get to children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, or from from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. So he says there's a reward, and there is also a judgment. Those two things are coming. But all of these instructions that he gives, is, it's implied it's for an intact nuclear family, which I talked about last week. The father, the mother, the children, and they stay together as a unit. And I also mentioned that slaves are the equivalent of employees today and the masters are equivalent of the employers today. And so as as we look at this, we want to look at the biblical role of children. I'm going to read that particular verse, verse 20 again. Children, obey your parents in some things, for this pleases the Lord. Yeah, it's not some things. It's everything that is there. Uh, I can remember growing up as children uh, with my siblings, you know, we had whine a little bit. And then my dad would come in and say, stop whining, get up. I don't know how he got you up on Saturday morning, but, you know, light switches. We now have these fine light switches that are smooth like at the back here. But back then we had the, and there's some in the house, by the way, over here. You take it and you click it. It clicks nice and loud. It's old. There's only two wires. It's asbestos wire that's in the walls there. It's real old. In the house I grew up in, we had these clicking light switches. I was on the top bunk right next to the light in the ceiling. He'd come in, open the door. Boys, get up! And he'd take that switch and he'd go back and forth. And that's how he wanted us to get up. Not always would he do that. Sometimes he was kind, but if he especially told us there's work to be done. We all had to get up, grumbling, getting up and going. And, you know, it was just hard and we were supposed to obey him. And if we didn't get up, guess what he did? He came in and took the sheets, threw them off and said, now get up, you know, something like that. Because we were being obstinate and whining and that's just what he did. Now today, I don't see parents doing that today. Sweetheart. It's time to get up, you know, and, and that's for the girls. But for the boys, don't grumble at me. Just come on, just get up. You know, we, we can talk like that to the kids. It was a different generation back then, totally different. And they had a hard life. And that was brought to us. And hopefully we mellow out a little bit, but not too much. So children are supposed to obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Exodus 20 verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You could turn to your children or grandchildren and say, you want to live long? You better obey me. That's the way it goes. And then Deuteronomy 5.16 repeats that same commandment. Leviticus 20 verse 9 says, If anyone curses his father or mother, he must be put to death. He, He has cursed his father or mother, and his blood will be on his own head. You could take that verse, stick it in your kid's room, make sure glass is over it, where you can read it all the time. And they know they're not supposed to curse their mother or father, but respect them. That's the first thing they're supposed to do in obeying your parents. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's like Colossians is a companion volume uh, to Ephesians. 
In Proverbs 30, verse 17, this is another one you can put up in your child's or your grandchild's room. The eye that mocks the father that scorns obedience to the mother will be pecked out by the ravens in the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. All you have to do is walk into their room with a raven. You know, just come right in there and say, do you remember that verse right there? Yeah, this is for you. You know, get up. Of course, I, I say that in jest, but... That, that was strong. He wasn't joking when he said this. If you don't follow the instruction of your parents or even your grandparents, bad things are going to happen to you and you can have your eyes plucked out by ravens. Also, children should listen to and heed the instruction of their parents. Proverbs 1 Verse 8 says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And so this is Solomon writing to his son saying, you know, pay attention to this. Make sure you follow my instruction. It will add years to your life. Well, what if the parents aren't in agreement on child discipline? You know, if you went through, first it starts with wives, then it goes to husbands, then it goes to children, then it goes to fathers, then it goes to slaves, then it goes to masters. Let's just call those rules. Rule number one, wife. Rule number two, father. Rule number three, child. Rule number four, husbands. You know, if you go through all of that, if there's ever a doubt on what you should do, do defer to husbands and fathers. The father is the one with the final authority in the household. If the mother doesn't agree with that, and it may be difficult, and it's going to cause maybe insurrections and fighting and how much do you discipline, what kind of discipline should be imposed. I believe that Scripture teaches us that the mother is the nurturer. She is built for it. The man is not. And when the child does not respond to the nurturing of the mother, then the father comes in with the raven. And it shows it to the kids, so to speak. And, and he's the one that is supposed to be the disciplinarian. He's the one to have the final say. And you need to let him just go ahead and carry that out. Now, it may not necessarily be for us, but it could be for our children or our grandchildren, making sure that they know these particular teachings, these precepts from the scripture. So you would refer, refer back to the rule of the husband and the father having the final say. And we know that uh, this is clear from the uh, little letter to Timothy, you know, that the, or, and also First Corinthians, that the husband is the head of the wife. And, and the wife needs to submit to the husband and so on. So children should also provide for their parents when they are old if they are able to. Uh, there are some cases where the children are not able to, but First Timothy 5.4 says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. This doesn't mean that the parent or grandparent just slacks and doesn't do anything for their own benefit in the future. The Bible also says the parents save up for their children, you know, so you give them an inheritance. But... If the children need to make sure they're taking care of their parents, you know, go to medical appointments, things like that. If they they get old and it's hard for them to get around, taking them to different places, that's the responsibility of the child. 
And we know that also uh, if there's a decision whether to give to the church or give to your parents and you don't have money for both, you give to your parents. Scripture is clear about taking care of the family members. And then we go to the biblical role of fathers. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Do you think that this was a common problem? Absolutely. And it's still a common problem today. Men have a tendency to be harsh, especially if it's not done the first time or the second time right. Then the father or the husband usually gets a little frustrated. And so he gives this reminder, do not embitter your children. And that means to stir up or be broken in spirit. Ephesians 6, 4, the companion book to Colossians. Father, do not exasperate or rouse to wrath your child. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord or nurture and admonition according to King James. And the way that you would do that is give the child an impossible task to complete, that they're not able to do that. Or get angry at them for not completing a task that they're unable to complete. There needs to be a little bit of compassion working there. And so fathers are not to embitter their children, not to discourage their children, not to turn and talk to them harshly, not to say that they're stupid or say things like can't do anything right or you're such a klutz or you never amount to anything or you are ugly or do it because I said so, don't question me. Do as I do, not as I, or do as I say, not as I do. You ever hear that one growing up? I heard that one a couple of times. Just do as I do. Or do as I say, not as I do. And that's not how we're supposed to set the example. Also, fathers, as I just said, should have a heart of compassion for their children. Psalms 103 verse 13, as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And I think we should also have compassion on other people's children. I know somebody who is, uh, they were higher up in a church and they said, I love my own kids, but I hate other kids. What? What's with that? You know, we're supposed to, the children are what the kingdom of God is made of, you know, and, and to say, I don't like other kids. Well, you know, I don't hate them, but I don't like to deal with them. You know, their little runny noses and their little stinky bodies and everything else. I don't, I don't, their sticky hands and I don't want to have to deal with that stuff. And we're supposed to have compassion on other people's children as well as our own. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. And, and so it specifically says that fathers are to be the disciplinarians. In Proverbs 13.24, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now, not every child needs a spanking. Not everyone. I, I remember my mother telling me that when she was a young girl, her mother, my grandmother, would tell her to go out and get a switch. Now, a switch is a stick. And a stick is what they would use, wacky ones across the leg, you know, or maybe on the rear end. And I think the best place is the rear end. It's apply the rod of correction to the seat of understanding. And, and when that's done... Uh, I think one time is sufficient. You, you don't need to go multiple times on something like that, if at all. Usually, it's just the threat that does it for little kids. I can remember my own kids running, running down the hall, screaming like, no, 
and tears coming down their eyes. That's it. I'm getting the spoon. And, you know, they're down the hall and all you have to do is show it to them. And usually that works. A couple of my kids, I don't think I ever had to use it on. And a couple, I think maybe once, maybe once, but it's only for outright rebellion. And that's the only time you're supposed to use it. And, and that's what I believe is being referred to here. You know, if they stand up to you and in your face and you make me, okay, I'll make you. And, and you make them as a parent do that. And it only takes once unless something's wrong. It usually would only take once. They get the idea and that actually teaches them for the hardships that will come in the future because of what they do. It's like we learn there's pain and suffering for doing that which is wrong. Not only temporarily here, but also in the future. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And like I said, not every child needs a spanking. Uh, and even those, uh, maybe you grew up with somebody around your neighborhood that was just an unruly kid. No matter how many times a kid was spanked, he was still unruly, didn't change the nature. That's just the nature of the child, how the child was. And for that, all I can say is you better pray. You just pray for that individual. And then it says, um, do not, in Proverbs twenty-three thirteen, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. They think they're going to die, but they, he will not die. And Proverbs twenty-nine seventeen, discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. And so the role of the father concerning discipline, that's his prominence. That's the place that he would maintain. Not only does he have compassion and care for his kids, he should care for other kids as well. But the mom is the nurturer and she provides the basic instruction for the little child until they start getting older and then the child goes uh, for the father, to the father for the discipline is the way it should work. Also, fathers should train and instruct their children. I already read to you Proverbs 22, 6, that train a child in the way that he should go and when he's old, he'll not turn from it. And then Proverbs 4, 1 through 4, I thought was good. It says, listen, my son, to a father's instruction, pay attention and gain understanding. I'll give you sound learning so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words and with all your heart keep my commands and you will live. Now again, this is predicated on the father being there. He has to be there. And that's why God gave a father and a mother. There is no way a mother can really fulfill what the father can provide and vice versa. There is no way that the father can fulfill what the woman can provide. And some other helpful guidelines. Don't cuss at your children at home or act different at church. Uh, Don't set your kids up for disappointment. Don't withhold love because of mistakes and don't require perfection from someone who is not perfect. God doesn't require perfection from us. Even though the scripture says be perfect as I am perfect, it's really means mature act mature you can't be perfect and we won't be perfect until we see christ and we won't be perfect like god is perfect even when we are in his presence now i would go on with the slaves or employees and the employers but i think we'll run out of time because we're going to receive communion this morning and so 
what we're going to do is just remind ourselves, maybe you, as you were growing up, I shared a lot of personal stories, as you were growing up, maybe there was some difficulty in your household growing up, and you don't look with fond memories on it, maybe the father was absent, or the mother was absent, and you didn't have the benefit of getting instruction from both parents, the Lord knows that, and He's gracious, and if you have resentment over that, the Lord knows that, and he can take away the resentment. Even that can be covered by the peace of God because those things in our lives are used to transform us and conform us. If it causes you grief, well, you know, even the book of Ecclesiastes says it's better to go up to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. That, that something good for the soul, if we turn to God and we just pour out our heart and we say, you know, this was hard for me to go through this. This was hard for the rest of the family and it wasn't perfect and there is no family which is. But we know that God cares for us even in the state in which we find ourselves. And he will make that all correct at the end of time. That's where the peace and thanksgiving comes in. We can turn to God and we can say, God, thank you that in the future this burden which I've carried all my life is, is going to go away. I'm not going to have to dwell on that shameful things that may have taken place or just harsh things all of that the lord knows and so as we're going to receive communion and you know the routine patty's going to come up and we're going to sing a song but you come up the center aisle and you just file back around uh, to your row in your seat as the song begins to play and if you need to call out the lord say you know lord just help me with the past and even scripture says we're to forget about the past and look forward to the things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the exhortation that we should have this morning. So if we can get the center lights uh, turned down, we'll start to play a song. Once the song starts to play, if you would go ahead and grab a cup. And um, from there, Pat, if you could come up and pray for the elements after that, that would be great. Okay. <clears throat> 